Well, a couple of local rivals met this week in Division Three baseball. The Route 42 rivalry renewed. We'll talk about it here on the Baseball in the Valley podcast. Welcome in. Today is Friday, April 16th, and this is a new edition of the podcast. Greg Medea, sports writer here at the Daily News Record, joined alongside by David Driver, sports editor and, and baseball savant, you can call him. He knows the game better than anybody on our staff. So, David, good to be with you. Got a lot to talk about today. College baseball, Major League Baseball, uh, so plenty to get to today. How you doing? Good. Well, you're, you're more than kind. You know, I was, I was at Bridgewater on Tuesday for the game and, and happened to see Ray Heatwell, the legendary uh, Turner Ashby and JMU coach. I was thinking, you know, this guy has forgotten more about baseball than the rest of us will ever know. So, um, but yeah, good to see you, Greg. Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, I just wanted to, before we get into, into the local teams, I wanted to thank the folks at Bridgewater College. Um, you know, uh, Steve Cox and, and Jimmy and Sports Information, Kurt Kendall, the athletic director, and Ben Spots, the, the coach, uh, for having the news director there on Tuesday. It, it may not seem like a big deal, but as you know, Greg, being at JMU, everybody's got to go through protocol these days. That includes the press. That includes the fans. So, yeah, there weren't too many people there, but, you know, they, they have to do things the right way. So thanks to the folks at Bridgewater for, for having us over. Um, beautiful day. I think it was 70 for the first pitch on Tuesday. Great day for baseball um, and a really good game. Um, you know, there were some defensive miscues on both sides. Um, Bridgewater jumped out early, just like they did last time at Eastern Mennonite. And it ended up, Bridgewater ended up winning uh, six to five. They were up six to one and EMU came back in the eighth and ninth and it made it interesting. So yeah, really good game. They, they split the two regular season games this year and big picture, um, you know, the ODAC will take the top eight teams this year. Um, Steve Cox filled me in on that. Bridgewater, I think right now, as we talk, is six in the ODAC, EMU is seven. So both teams could be in the playoffs here in a few weeks. And that's that's a great baseball league. That that league is heating up. There's double headers just just about every Saturday. Uh, that's how their schedule works: double headers Saturday, and then one midweek game. Uh, I think that's how the ODAC is doing their schedule this spring. And that's probably we talked about it when we had Ben Spots on uh, last month when we we talked about it, and he said, you know, it is one of the best Division three leagues in the country based on the talent level, and that you can't go into a game with the coaching staff on either side and expect to be out, you know, not out, not trying to be out coached. You know, everybody's got good coaches. Everybody's got fairly equivalent talent. Maybe, you know, the Randolph Macon's, the Virginia Wesleyan's, maybe they have an extra guy or two uh, with, with a really good arm. But other than that, you know, you're, you're looking at fairly even talent across the board uh, and Bridgewater and EMU in the thick of it. Yeah, Greg. I mean, you know, both of us are East Coast people, so I don't have exposure to other Division Three <laughs> conference, you know, conferences. Um, but you know, you've got Randolph Macon and Shenandoah are both in the top twenty-five nationally again this week, and, and Lynchburg is is in second. So um, right there, you've got three programs that are almost always really good. Um, Lynchburg has Adam Doffelmeyer, a Spotswood grad, who's pitching really well for them. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is a really good conference. Um, and, and Eastern Midnight will host Randolph-Macon on Saturday for a doubleheader in Parkview. So they've got their hands full with the Yellow Jackets coming to town. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what, how does Posey and company feel about that on the heels of their, their wild loss to Bridgewater? I know you wrote about it in a paper 
that couple of close calls there by the umpire <laughs> in the game. And they're a little bit of a heated, uh, heated exchanges between the umpire and some of the EMU folks. How do they kind of flip the switch, get right for a big double header? Yeah, I mean, I, I was really impressed by Adam talking to him after the game. I mean, yeah, there, there were some probably some calls that, that went against Eastern Mennonite. And, um, you know, again, these are not professional umpires and, and, you know, they're not, it's not their full-time job. They're doing the best job they can. They probably have another job on the side. Um, but, you know, and Adam made a good point. He said, yeah, okay, maybe, you know, maybe we get a bases loaded walk on that pitch and, but there were other ways to win the game. There were other opportunities, like he said. You know, I was really impressed. I mean, he, he felt bad that one of his top players got ejected. He wished that he would have been ejected before his, his top outfielder. Um, yeah, it was a frustrating day for them. But I think Adam, Adam and Ben, you know, coached together for so long. I think they have a really good approach with, you know, they see the big picture. I mean, sure, you don't want to lose a game. But now they got Randolph-Macon coming in. And, you know, Adam has said this all year. He feels like, you know, they can compete on a on a daily basis against anybody in the ODAC. And I know that's a cliche these days, but, um, you know, they, yeah, they're going to have their hands full. Randolph Macon is is always really good. But um, I, I think EMU feels like whoever they play, they're going to be competitive. Yeah, they've got one of the top power hitters in the ODAC and, and Jalon Lee four homers. I don't know how many RBIs he has off the top of my head, but he, he's outstanding. And when you have a bat like that in the middle of your lineup, you, you can stay in, you can stay in the, in some games. Cause you always know there's that threat that, that Jaylon could come up to the plate and hit the ball out of the park. Yeah. Th- those top three hitters for EMU have been good all year. Uh, I guess, obviously the challenge is, is to, to find some other production at the, at the middle and bottom of the lineup. And, but um, boy, those three are really good. Um, yeah, really, you know, Bridgewater probably doesn't have the pop that EMU does, but Bridgewater has some other pieces, like maybe more depth in pitching. Um, they're, they're pretty young position-wise. So, I mean, both programs, you know, it's been a rough year for everybody. Um, I think both programs have to feel good, just the fact they've gotten to play more games this year after last year. So, no, it's a really good robbery, and I think both teams, okay, they're not at the top three in the ODAC, but, but they're very competitive. Yeah, and I, I think, too, if, as long as you get in the tournament, you got a shot, right? You, you never know what happens in college baseball. You play a couple days in a row, maybe you get hot, and maybe you win the thing. Some folks at Bridgewater were pointing out that you don't want to finish seventh or eighth because um, then you play Shenandoah or Randolph-Macon. Um, if you finish sixth, you still might, you know, you could see Lynchburg. But, yeah, you want to try to stay out of the seventh and eighth spots. And um, But you're right. It's baseball, right? We know that. We know anything can happen in the tournament. Yeah, Bridgewater at Guilford uh, on Saturday. Eastern Mennonite host Randolph-Macon. And that, that's kind of what's going on locally here as far as college baseball goes. The Division Three, I think, is is kind of taking a, a, a front seat uh, to normally – we'd be talking about JMU, I think, in, in terms of the lead off the bat. But the Dukes, they had another series postponed this past weekend, and they are – I think going to play, right? That's correct. You, you confirmed that with Marlon Eikenberry that they are going to play this weekend at the College of Charleston. Missed last weekend series uh, with UNCW because of COVID issues at JMU. Yeah, as of uh, you know, I, I would assume that JMU. I don't know if they left this morning, Friday morning, to 
to they probably left last night right to get down I, there, I assume yeah. They're there. Yeah. yeah so I, I think as far as we know that series is on and it's it's an important series you know for for both teams uh jmu's only played three conference games william and mary has played nine so um a big di- a discrepancy there in in the standings yeah J- jmu david five and seven overall and two and one in the league they have missed a bunch, and and that's that I think is is concerning. Had the March nineteenth through March twenty first series with Elon that was supposed to be at Elon scrapped because of COVID at JMU. Then the next series against Elon was supposed to be played in Harrisonburg, March twenty sixth through the twenty eighth. That was canceled, not for COVID, but I don't think, uh, but I think probably because Elon didn't want to travel to JMU after JMU missed the series in North Carolina. They played the Dukes. April 2nd through the 4th against the same College of Charleston that they'll see this weekend. Uh, they took the first and the second game of that series to take two or three big series win because College of Charleston is always a very good baseball program, uh, but then postponed this past weekend, as I mentioned. I guess my question, David, for for baseball players who I think thrive off of routine and having games more often than not, how tough is it? to go from these stops and starts to having to perform in a pretty big series. I'm sure the Charleston team is going to be, you know, jumping at the bit, chomping at the bit to, to, to play well against JMU after dropping a series in Harrisonburg. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. I mean, I was never good, good enough to play every day, but you know, <laughs> um, you know, playing, you know, playing in the County league, you know, you're playing maybe two or three games a week. And, and, and as a hitter, if you're, if you're playing three days a week, I mean, you're taking some BP the other days. Um, I think that's doable. But, you know, now, as you know, covering Division One baseball, I mean, they're, they've been playing, what, 50, 60 games the last few years. Um, yeah. the, hitters, the hitters are in a routine of, of getting, you know, what, five games a week, and that's 20 at bats, you know, and now, and now you're playing on weekends. I mean, so, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure the Dukes are taking batting practice and flips and BP in the cage and, you know, all of that. But again, that's, is that preparing you to face a 90 mile an hour fastball from Charleston? So yeah, it's, it's gotta be a big challenge for that, for that program. Yeah. I think the one really good thing for JMU is they've gotten Justin Showalter back who started the year uh, coming back from injury. Uh, That's the appropriate way to put it. He threw five innings in that series finale against Charleston. How about this line, David? Five innings, three hits, five strikeouts, no earned runs, no runs, only one walk. That's not a bad first outing there for the former Turner Ashby graduate. Yeah, he he picked up from what he did last year, right? I mean, boy, it would have been been really interesting to see, you know, obviously if the season would have been completed in 2020, what his numbers would have looked like. But, yeah, that's a huge – pick up for them we know we know you know about their bats right oh yeah uh, a lot of a lot of folks saw them in the county league last year so those those three you know the three top hitters have really been productive so um you know any pitching they can get is only going to help yeah no, no doubt about it chase the lauder still swinging it well for for, for jmu as, as far as that goes he's kind of been the, their their leadoff hitter throughout the season has been uh, you know, since 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 coming into the program, he's hitting 364, a couple of homers, a couple of triples, a couple of doubles. Uh, so he he's he's playing just as well as they anticipated. Uh, so I think that's productive that they're getting they're getting production out of a couple players 
who, who they thought they would get production from. I wonder if they extend Showalter a little bit, maybe let him go a little further into the game now that he has a start under his belt. May, so I, I think that'll be interesting to watch. The other aspect of this JMU schedule is because they've missed a couple of home series, uh, the next few are on the road. So they have at College of Charleston uh, beginning tonight. Then they're at William and Mary next weekend. Then they're at UNCW the following weekend. They don't play a home series until May 15th through the 16th. So they don't have a home series for another month. And I think that that in itself provides some challenges. I, I think it does. And Greg, you know this from, from covering football, you know, teams that go on the road, there's that extra layer of protocol, right? There's the hotel. Oh, yeah. There's so many challenges and, and we can only, you know, we, we have no idea what that's like. We're trying to report on it, but we haven't experienced it. So when you go on the road, um, and I've, I've noticed several, you know, there's been several football teams that once they've played a road game, then they've gone on protocol yep. because of COVID when they come back. So yeah, that, that's, you know, obviously it's always better to play at home, but that, that's going to be a challenge uh, the next few weekends for the Dukes. And then something to mention too, you know, uh, JMU, big year for, for Marlon Eikenberry. Last year, his contract after getting a one-year extension after after the COVID shortened season. So that's something to pay attention to as this season goes along. So that's the college baseball scene. I think on the next episode, we'll definitely be talking about the high school baseball scene. Get Cody in here as the, the high school baseball season. That's just around the corner here in the Shenandoah Valley. And that's going to be an absolute treat, David, with, with how many future Division I players and other college players uh, are, are, playing around, are, are playing around the area. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to having uh, having Cody on. He, he knows the landscape. Uh, so many good players. Of course, we missed out last year. Oh, yeah. Um, on seeing these guys. So yeah, it should be a really good spring for, for local high school baseball. No doubt. But right now we're going to turn our attention to the major leagues because earlier today, David and I had the chance uh, to speak with Dan Connolly of the athletic who covers the, the Baltimore Orioles for, for, for the outlet does a great job covering them. Uh, we talked to him this morning about the O's, the O's are five and eight out of the gate through, through about two weeks uh, of play they go on the road to, to for a three-game series that starts tonight at the Texas Rangers lots of O's fans here in the Shenandoah Valley so since we had uh, Nats reporter on the last time we wanted to get somebody in to give you a feel for what's going on in Baltimore so here's our conversation with Dan Connolly the O's beat writer for the Athletic well the baseball in a valley podcast is happy to welcome in Dan Connolly he covers the Orioles for the Athletic Dan thanks for joining David and me on this podcast how are you today very good how are you guys doing we're, we're doing well. Lots of O's fans down here in, in, in the Valley. So uh, I'm sure they're curious to, to find out a little bit about uh, what's going on in Baltimore here in the early going. Uh, something I wanted to ask you about right right off the bat is something you wrote about. I think it went live on The Athletic this morning about how, how the Orioles brought in three veteran pitchers during the offseason. One has really worked out so far uh, as a nice fit, and that, that's Matt Harvey. Why do you think Harvey is, is fit well early on in, in Baltimore? He pitched yesterday, did, did pretty well, kept kept the Orioles in the game. Honestly, I think it's a situation when you're Matt Harvey, you're 32 years old, you're a former all-star, you know, a former can't-miss kind of guy. 
and you've struggled badly the last couple of years. This is one of your last chances. I mean, honestly, to, to pitch for the Baltimore Orioles uh, and get a starting spot after what he did last year at the Royals, which was, was absolutely awful, ERA in, in the 11s, um, you know, seven games, I think three starts with Kansas City. He, basically, this is his career. He's fighting for his career at this point. And, you know, and, and at 32, he's still young enough. You know, it's not as if this guy, you know, we think about him because he's been around for so long, but he's 32 years old. And, and obviously you can pitch for, for several more years if you can get, you know, hitters out. So he, this offseason, I think he rededicated himself. I think he kind of embraced analytics a little bit more. He was interested in the Orioles because they were, you know, they really have embraced analytics, especially on the pitching side. And so he thought it might be a decent fit there. He had an opt-out where if he, you know, if he wasn't on the major league roster, he could take off. Uh, and so I think it was a good fit for him. There's actually a $500,000 bonus in his contract, which if he gets traded in July or if he gets traded this year, he gets $500,000 extra dollars. So I think it was a good fit for him there. And I think he felt like he needed to, to, you know, kind of reestablish himself because this might be the end of the line. And he's done that so far. I think there were some considerations about, you know, how he would fit in with a young team. And I think he's done a, a nice job with that. Obviously, we're not in the clubhouse now, so we don't know for sure. But um, he says all the right things, and, and people say the right things about him. So I think off the field, in the clubhouse, he's, he's been a good fit. And on the field, he's been solid. Not great, but, you know, he's basically kept them in the game each of his three starts. Uh, he really should have – I mean, he could have gotten a win yesterday. Uh, you know, had four really sweet innings. And then in his fifth inning, he got the first two outs, gave up a, a, a hard single – and then gave up a home run, 2-2, and left in a tie. And, and you know, the Orioles ended up losing that game. But, I mean, he was very close to, to getting a W in that game. So, he has not won uh, for a while now. It, you got you to gotta date back, I think it's 2000, July of 2019 that he's won a Major League Baseball game. So, um, he's definitely hungry. Yeah, no, no doubt. It, it, it's, it, it's been interesting. I'm, I'm a diehard Met fan. And, obviously, you, you know Harvey has been at the pinnacle at times. And it also had the, the low points. So, I'm sure – Lots of young players with the Orioles can, can learn from him and take some things away there. Uh, weird series with the Mariners. Both games were, were, were doubleheaders, Dan. Uh, what you, what'd you take away? All the games were close, uh, but, but Seattle took three of four. Well, the Orioles didn't hit. And honestly, that's an area where we kind of expected them. We expect them to hit better. And, you know, Austin Hayes is a guy that I, I don't think a lot of people know nationally. Uh, but he really does provide a spark, both offensively, defensively. He's just one of those heroin fire guys that you, you kind of like to watch. And he got hurt early, and they really have kind of stumbled offensively since then. Now, I'm not saying that he is necessarily the catalyst. Trey Mancini is obviously coming back from colon cancer surgery. He's had some, some issues. Uh, Freddie Galvis has not hit at all since the Orioles uh, signed him. Um, so, I mean, you know, it looks like this offense should be fine. But it wasn't, and it wasn't in the Seattle series. And I think that that's something that really is alarming to them. The, the weird thing about baseball, you know, they, they go into Fenway to start the season and sweep the, the Red Sox, win three games. And the takeaway is maybe the Orioles are better than we thought, and maybe the Red Sox are terrible and, you know, or worse than we thought. And now you look at the standings, and the Orioles, you know, won two games since then, and the Red Sox are, are leading the American League East. So, you know, it's just hard to figure, but I mean, and it's early and it's 162 games. And it's the reason we always say it's early in the first two months of the season. But I think the takeaway from the Seattle series is they got to hit better. They pitched okay. Uh, Seattle's not a particularly good team either. So, you know, they should have won, you know, maybe at least two of those games at home. But I think they're gonna, there's going to be some ups and downs with this team, no question. Orioles are 5-8. and eight. 
at, at this point. Obviously, you mentioned Mancini. It seems like that's a real feel-good story, not only in Baltimore, but but nationally around around Major League Baseball. What, what's it been like being at Camden Yards, seeing the fans uh, when he comes up to the uh, up to the plate? What's that just been like in, in watching? And, and you obviously have detailed his, his story a little bit. I have. I've had a chance to get to know Trey over the years, uh, and I've spent a lot of time with his family and and where he grew up and his friends and everything else and kind of putting these stories together. And, and, you know, Trey Mancini hit 35 home runs in 2019. This was not a guy who was just an okay player or whatever. I mean, he was a, he was a breakout star and he was the Orioles best player. He was the Orioles uh, emotional leader before they found out that he had colon cancer in, in uh, 2020. And, and so um, fans were already in Trey Mancini's camp. They were already, you know, camp Trey going into 2020 so what he did last year in coming back, having the, the, the stage three cancer, um, having surgery, going through 12 chemotherapy uh, treatments, and then coming back and being back for that next year and being ready and saying all the right things and starting a foundation and all this stuff, it's impossible not to root for this guy. Um, you know, he's always been a, a kind of an overachiever, always kind of been overlooked. And um, he's just been, he's been incredible. So the fans we're going to cheer for this guy no matter what. If he had a knee injury and he came back, they were going to be, you know, on their feet cheering for him for opening day and such. But the fact that the Red Sox have embraced him, all these other teams have embraced him. Um, I mean, coming back from colon cancer and within a year being back and playing is incredible. And, you know, and, and the fact that he, you know, he realized he had, had colon cancer at age 27. Usually it's something we think about in their 40s and 50s and 60s. Um, so I think everybody relates with him. And he's such a good guy that I think that fans throughout baseball are going to be cheering him this year. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Again, Greg, the David Driver here with Dan Connolly of The Athletic, the O's beat writer uh, for The Athletic. He's got three homers, too. So it's, so it's not like it's just it's just a guy coming back and you're hoping to see what he can do. He's hit three bombs. Uh, is that is that a fair expectation for his power numbers still still to be there? It should be. I mean, right now his average is exceptionally low. <clears throat> he struggled with that, and and um, he's he's definitely progressing. I mean, he told us, you know, that that he's he wants to prove to everybody that he's the same guy he was before cancer, and he's the kind of guy that takes things very seriously. He's very very hard on himself, always has been, and I think that the average really speaks to that. But the guy has power, and there's no question. And like I said, he had 35 home runs in 2019. Um, and so when he hit his first home run, I mean, that was kind of national news. I actually did a, a news brief for it for the athletic um, because that was a big deal, but then he hit a home run in the next game and then he hit one yesterday. So, I mean, he's, you know, he's in a situation where I think he's driving the ball now. Uh, I think he's kind of letting at least trying to um, be a little bit less aggressive and kind of let the ball come to him a little bit more instead of just trying to kill it every time. Um, so I, I would think we would see the average come up, but I think that power expectation is, is legit. Yeah. D- David, I know you want to jump in. Yeah. I, I guess more big picture, Dan, and it's, it's great to see you. Um, you know, we know this is a rebuild, right? Um, you know, they brought over Mike Elias and a bunch of folks from Houston. Do, do you feel like they're going it about, about it the right way? And do you feel like big picture they're making progress to what the end goal is? To answer David, to answer David's question, yes, on, on both ends. I do believe that the Orioles are doing it the right way. And I do believe there's been some progress in the minor league system. 
um, leading up to this. I, I, you know, if you look at, at the national prospect rankings, the Orioles are in the top 10 in, in several different, you know, like Baseball America and MLB.com. The Athletics doesn't have them that high, but uh, I, I think they're higher than they've been in, in some years. The question is, will it work? And I don't have the answer for that. The problem here is, is that when Mike Elias did this with the Houston Astros, they went down, I mean, they completely gutted it. And they were really the only team that really did that. Um, and it worked. And so now all these other teams have done that. So the Orioles are in a rebuild with about five or six or seven other teams that are in a, in a full rebuild. And so, you know, maybe the prospects aren't available in trades as much, or, you know, maybe teams don't want to give up as much because of that. So, you know, whether it's going to work or not, I don't know. I mean, obviously they have some, some better younger players than they have had in, in some years, but those guys got to click. And, and so, you know, will the Orioles rebuild work? Maybe. Yeah, so, so Dan, just I had one last thing. I know, obviously, your focus is on the major league team, um, but for us in the Shenandoah Valley, there's, there's a number of pitchers in the organization in the minor leagues who are from Virginia, and, and our readers and, and listeners follow. Um, Brendan Hanafy had, was part of the rotation at Frederick in 2019 from Turner Ashby. Shelton Perkins, a reliever from JMU, had a great debut with Aberdeen in 2019. I guess my question is, with all of these young arms that have come into the system, I, I'm, I'm personally curious to see what, what the roster spots and rotation, especially double-A Bowie, is going to look like if Hanifi has a chance for that. Just you mentioned the minor league system. What, do you, what are you thinking when you look at the roster, say, for Norfolk and Bowie? What, what's it in general going to look like? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, obviously – for the first time in years, and, and, and Dave, you, you've covered this team, you know what it's like. I mean, the fact that they have a lot of arms, they have a lot of choices is interesting. And they're starting, they're starting to be a log jam in like high A and, and maybe Bowie at this point. Um, in AAA, there's several guys who are kind of on the cusp. Uh, Zach Lowther is one guy that comes to mind. Mike Bauman is another guy that comes to mind. Um, who are going to be a triple A right there, you know, on the cusp, some other guys coming down to kind of meet them there uh, like Keegan Aiken, who was in the majors last year, but it's all starting to kind of build in that high a double a area. And a guy like Hanafi, you know, is kind of been under the radar, but you know, the Orioles have promoted under radar guys who've done well in the pet, like John means, for instance. So I think that the, what the Orioles have done with their pitching analytics and putting such a, 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 you know, an emphasis on that has really helped it more at the pitching level than, than the hitting level. And I think there's still a lot of spots open offensively for the Orioles. But now it's you're getting into a system w- which is a little bit heavier in pitching. And it's going to be hard to see exactly who's going to be where in double-A. We expect whoever is pitching in double-A, they're going to be throwing to Adley Rutschman to start. And, you know, that's going to be an interesting thing for, the, for those guys. Um, you know, two of their, their best pitching prospects are uh, Grayson Rodriguez and um, DL Hall. And I would imagine they'll be in that top, you know, high A to double A range as well. So it's going to be tough for those guys now in the younger end. But the good news is if those guys pitch well, they're going to be moved up or they're going to be used as trades as, you know, the Orioles kind of continue to, to build their, their offense really and try to get better all around. So I think guys like Hanafi have a chance and, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you got to continue to pitch well, but I think that it helps him now because I think teams are looking at the Orioles lower level pitching. And for years they didn't. 
Uh, that, that's that, that's that's pretty fascinating, Dan. We'll, we'll get you out on this. The O's go to Texas three game series beginning tonight. I guess the first trip to the the new Globe Life Park for the O's. Right. What are they expecting this weekend with the Rangers? Well, you know the Rangers are a team that's been struggling as well, and you know are kind of in a rebuild as well. And I think the Orioles are hoping to take advantage of this. I mean, the Red Sox weren't supposed to be pretty weren't supposed to be particularly good. Uh, you know, and they got swept at home. Then they lose three or four to Seattle. They are looking at the Seattle slash Texas series and, and even Miami as teams that are kind of in the same area as them right now. So they really feel like they need to go out in Texas and, and steal a couple to kind of get back. And hopefully, you know, Texas is not known right now for its pitching. Um, hopefully the Orioles offense can, can get going because that's really the big concern. The, the starting pitching has been fine. And that was what we thought was going to be the glaring error. And, and, and you know, and, and I think it continue could be the, the area where we, are concerned, but right now, um, you know, the offense isn't doing what it needs to do. And maybe they, it gets a little bit of a lift in Texas. Yeah, no doubt. Dan, thanks so much for, for taking a few minutes to join David and I here on the baseball in the Valley podcast. Uh, and, and uh, great to hear about the O's who, who five, five and eight out of the gate, but, but have some promising signs, I think. So thanks so much for, for talking about the Baltimore Orioles with us. Absolutely guys. I love what you're doing down there. I'm a, JMU Dukes fan because my son went there and so uh love reading your stuff and keeping tabs on on the Dukes from there so really great stuff from Dan and, and David I thought it was neat he said Hanafi's got a shot I I yeah I was really um you know he knows more than I do D- Dan didn't mention this he's a humble guy he was the Maryland uh, sports writer of the year in 2013 um really good guy and uh, he's not going to say that stuff but um he knows he knows the Orioles inside and out um yeah, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what that double-A rotation looks like at Bowie, um, and fans can go down to Norfolk and see the triple-A teams. But, yeah, it was great to have Dan on. He knows his stuff. Yeah, you, you talked to Perkins, too, recently, right? How's he doing as, as – as, I think Sarasota, all the Orioles minor leaguers are there. We're getting ready for the minor league season. You know, I, I think we'll about – it's May 4th is the opening day for, for uh, full-season minor leagues, um, and I don't think we'll have the rosters until, you know, late April, early May. I think best – being optimistic, best-case scenario for Perkins is, you know, maybe he opens up as a closer for, for Del Marbra at the low single-A level. That, that would seem logical. Um, you know, he played short season in 2019. He was in instructional league last year in the fall in 2020 and and he's been very impressive now I don't have any inside information but I think that would be a logical next step for him Hanafi was in the rotation at high Frederick high single a Frederick in 2019 Hanafi was not part part of the alternate site 60 player pool in 2020 he hasn't faced other teams you know in over a year but again being moving up to the double a level I think is realistic for him yeah, that, that would be certainly fascinating. Of course, uh, for those Shenandoah Valley uh, Orioles fans, it's, it's easy to go see the minor league affiliates too uh, because they're all, they're all fairly regionally, uh, sure. which, which, which is great. Let's flip gears and, and touch on the Nats a little bit, David. Obviously, rough start for, for, for Washington with the, with the COVID pause, uh, and they've had a little bit of a tough time getting out of the gate here. Yeah, I think I think that's safe to say. I think I think what the cliche is, you, you can't win the pennant the first month of the season, but you can lose the pennant the first month of the season. Yeah. Um, I think there's there's some I've been trying to think of something witty to say all morning about red flags, but 
um, there's enough red flags for the Nats to be concerned. I know it's red cards and soccer and a red towel and bullfighting, but anyway, <laughs> so that's the best I can do. But, you know, Patrick Corbin got shelled last night. Um, Second you know, bad outing for him, right? Yeah, right. Steven Strasburg got hit hard in St. Louis. He'll pitch this weekend here in D.C. against Arizona. So there, there's certainly some concerns. I think I've told other people at the worst, the Nats are old and slow. Now, that's very general. You know, Trey Turner is, does not fit that mold at shortstop. Um, Juan Soto doesn't fit that mold. But in some aspects, they are an older team. They're not very athletic at several positions. So when you've got that, that scenario, then you need to rely on starting pitching and home runs. Yeah. And, and we've talked about that before. Are we going to get 30 starts from Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin and Lester? So, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously they had some players in protocol the first couple of games. So I I think too, I I don't know. I don't know if you know how to answer this, but does that have any impact as guys are trying, especially on the hitting side, guys are trying to see pitching, get their timing right. Uh, You know, Schwarber, Harrison, uh, a couple of those other players, uh, you know, not not back until a couple of games into the season. Yeah, talking to some of my friends that cover the team on a regular basis, they they wanted to see this team for several weeks once everybody was back. Gotcha. Um, like Schwarber, like Harrison, and, and they took two out of three. Am I right? Yeah, took two out of three yeah. in St. Louis. So you know, if you want to look at it that way, there, there's plenty of positives. There's plenty of negatives. Um, this team will probably put up a lot of runs. You know, I think, I mean, Ryan Zimmerman continues to stay hot. Um, So, yeah, I think they're going to put up a lot of runs eventually. It could be a really nice lineup. Um, The bullpen potentially could be really good with Brad Hand and Daniel Hudson. Um, They're missing Will Harris still. Um, Again, it comes back to starting pitching. I mean, we've talked about this before. You know, Scherzer's had his injury problems. I mean, Strasburg has had his injury problems. Scherzer's getting up there in age. Lester has got a late start. So you're relying a lot on your starting pitching because there's not a lot of help in the minor league system now. There is a lot of starting pitching in, for later, but for this year, not so much. And uh, it's, it's just, it, it's fascinating because it's a different looking Nationals team. That's that's for sure. Even though they have the three-headed monster that you, you, you that helped them win a World Series with, with Scherzer, Strasburg and Corbin, but I think Corbin is a little bit of a concern now that it's been back-to-back outings. He didn't really have a great 2020 either, the shortened season. So I think, is that, is that the biggest red flag right now for for Washington? I I think you are. I I was following the game last night on Twitter and somebody posted his, his pitch, his first 50 pitches, and he was all over the place. And um, again, when you don't throw 97, 98, you're a finesse guy and you're missing by two or three inches or, or more, that's a big difference. So last night was just like the worst case scenario. He, he couldn't, he couldn't locate. And boy, I mean, you know, an opposite field grand slam for Arizona early on. And, and that ball, you know, surprised a lot of the announcers. They didn't think it was going to go out, but you know, he doesn't throw that hard. He has a great slider. Um, but if, if, if he's off at night and the slider's not working, then boy, last, last night was the worst case scenario for, for Corbin. 
Uh, that's that's interesting. The Diamondbacks in town, uh, as David said, the Diamondbacks took the opener of the series uh, on Jackie Robinson Day last night, eleven and six. Uh, they'll play three more in D.C. Seven oh five first pitch tonight, and then the Cardinals, who the Nationals just saw, uh, come to D.C. Uh, in, in, in for a three games. That I always find that interesting. You know, sometimes you play a non divisional opponent. Uh, a couple of times within a week, and then you never see him again the rest of the year. That always cracks me up uh, with, with some of the scheduling quirks Major League Baseball has. Yeah, I, I was listening to the, the Nats radio the other night talking about that very same thing about this. You know, they won't see they see the Cardinals in April, and then they won't see them again. That's um, it. It's just it's just kind of the weird way that schedule works. And um, I think for this weekend, I think one thing to watch is Strasburg's appearance um, this weekend. Um, I think that'll be really big. Uh, I can't remember if he goes Saturday or Sunday, um, but you know he, he's had some hiccups, and you, you want to make sure he's healthy. And they kind of danced around the issue a little bit the other night after the game. So um, I think that's something Nats fans are going to want to follow this weekend and how how far Strasburg goes and if he's healthy. Yeah, no, that's that's certainly uh, certainly a concern if he's not. Uh, especially with Corbin not throwing well, because that kind of only leaves Scherzer. Uh, and that, that big three is, is only a big one, and that you can't win with that. No, you can't. No, you can't. So the Nats, uh, they're, they're at home uh, against the Diamondbacks. There are fans at Nats Park, which is great. Uh, so they'll, they'll finish with the D-backs this weekend and then host the Cardinals next week. Uh, before taking on the Mets and, and my Mets, the poor Mets can't play ever. You know, they just, they keep getting rained out and washed out. And I think they're going to get snowed out tonight, David, because they're in Colorado. Uh, so I think they're going to get snowed out from what I was seeing the beat writers tweeting. I think, I think you're right. And I heard it's 12 inches of snow in upstate New York and New Hampshire this weekend. So at least they're not up there, but yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's April baseball though. You know, yeah. we missed it last year. So I think you take a couple of, a couple of postponements here and there to have it back. Uh, that's, that's for sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, AAA normally starts in early April in Buffalo yeah. and Rochester. So, oh yeah, you know, maybe we'll see AAA push back in the future till, till May because, because of the bad weather. I don't know. It's not something cer- certainly to think about a lot of cold weather, minor league cities. I think Toledo, Syracuse, uh, Rochester up, uh, you know, Portland. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to that little ballpark up there. Uh, so lot, lots, lots to think about, certainly. I do think, kind of across the board in all sports, not to get off on a tangent here, there will be some things that players, coaches, organizations, leagues learned during the pandemic that they'll take with them forward, uh, even as you get back to normalcy. Maybe just maybe because of efficiency or, or or something worked out well. No, you're exactly right. And, and um, not only do things differently. Um, again, people probably don't care. Um, the media player relationship might not look the same. Um, you know, right now in in a lot of sports and you're dealing with this in football, you know, writers are doing zoom interviews. There's not clubhouse and locker room access. Um, there's probably a lot of athletes that are happy for that. Right. A lot Um, of media members that don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So again, the public, you know, maybe doesn't care about that as much and they just, you know, but, but they're, you know, that, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I know from following the emails for the baseball writers association, these are issues they're talking about. They're, they're hoping for better access, even at some point at the major league level for, for later this year. And, you know, as we see the vaccine, obviously more people have it. Um, 
the Major League Baseball is trying to get their teams to 85% vaccinated to reach certain levels. So, yeah, I, I think there are going to be some things that are maybe going to stay the same down the road. Yeah, no, no question about it. David, uh, anything else baseball-wise you wanted to mention before we wrap up here? I can't think of anything. Uh, I just know I know coaches have been really happy that the weather's been really nice um, the last few days in the Shenandoah Valley. Um, that's made thing. You know, we had we did have some rain, so I know Ben Spots at Bridgewater uh, was juggling things on Wednesday with, with the rain and getting ready for the weekend. But um, no, it's it's been great to um, to have baseball. I'm looking forward to the high school season and. Um, you know, having Cody on talking about that, there's there's a lot of there's a lot going on, and uh, it's it's been great to talk about it. Yeah, no no question, no question about it. Well, David, always good chatting baseball with you. Uh, we'll do another episode. I don't know within the next couple of weeks or so, as we get in a more regular routine with it, uh, as opposed to last year when it was quite broken up, quite choppy. Good to be uh, talking baseball all the time with you, David. So, uh, for David Driver, I am Greg Medea saying thanks for tuning in.